This is the story of a real person. This is the story of a person with big dreams. These dreams led them to take risks. But you should know up front, this is not a success story. All right, we're here today on The Pit of Despair. Did I make a huge mistake quitting my day job to do this, you know? That means my journey, I can take risks and chase things down. I think my biggest fear in all this is that all the effort to overcome the challenges of this past season would go by and ultimately be meaningless. We're here today on The Pit of Despair. We're with Fort Worth's own Grady Spencer. Today on our podcast, we're going to get to learn about Grady's story, zoning into his pit of despair, which is being a rising musician in the midst of a COVID environment. The pit of despair is essentially a moment or season of life when often unknown to the people around us, we're struggling. The one thing that we've put all our efforts into is not working and is potentially at the risk of failure. Failure is a taboo subject in our society, and we believe that we are worse off as a result of not discussing it. We believe that failure is a part of the process of solving big issues. However, that doesn't make it any less painful. Our ultimate goal this time is that anyone out there who is in the midst of a failure would feel less alone in their pit of despair and would learn to build hope for the future. Let's get into it. Grady, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to talk with you. Yeah, man. I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you for having me. Grady, for the audience who doesn't know you well, um, can you just give us a little bit of, uh, tell us about Grady growing up. What's what's baseline your story? Where did you grow up? Kind of what were some early influences for you? Yeah, for sure. So I, I grew up in a little town um, called Paducah, Texas, which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like two hours east of Lubbock. And um, just like a really small town. That's how I grew up. Um, was never really like a cowboy type of guy, but there was a lot of those people around. And um, so it was just always just kind of this country way of life, um, pretty much all the way till I graduated when I was 18 and uh, ended up moving to Lubbock, going to Texas Tech and uh, graduating from there. And um and tell us, tell us a little bit about like 22 year old Grady Spencer. What are some of the things that were like feeling you at that time? What give, paint, paint us the picture of, of that person. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I was really into Jack Johnson. That was the whole reason for me, like picking up the guitar. And so like I had discovered Jack Johnson, uh, through a friend in high school and I decided like, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to make this kind of music. And so I'd picked up, um, picked up an acoustic guitar and so at 22 i was writing very bad songs and uh just playing at parties just being a real uh annoying guy at parties with the guitar and um pretty much just being a degenerate with my friends uh more than anything and then uh yeah so that's that's what we did there in lubbock and um luckily i, I ended up graduating and um went into the construction industry and uh eventually would meet my wife there in Lubbock and uh, we would get married um, almost 10 years ago now. And um, that was a pretty big move. And and by that time, by the time we were getting married, I was playing shows in Lubbock and um, trying to kind of make a name for myself there in Lubbock and uh, reached a point to where we had played all the places that were kind of on my bucket list of like, these are the places I want to play. And it finally reached a point where like, well, we got to move to a bigger place because we've kind of reached all our goals. And, uh, so she had done a a clinical, she's a physical therapist. And so she had done a clinical here in Fort Worth and, um, she loved it here. And so we said, let's, let's just move to Fort Worth. And, um, that's about eight years ago. And, um, musically 
I just started over from square one because I didn't really know anybody and no one really knew me. I'd never played any shows in Fort Worth. And so it was really square one. But, uh, you know, luckily through eight years, we've been able to grow, um, you know, my career and and um, reach the point to where I get to do it full time now, which is which is kind of kind of cool. That's awesome. Your music has been something I've always enjoyed because I, I remember coming to one of the first times I had ever heard your music was at uh, Magnolia's, um, uh, the Magnolia Bar in the West 7th area in Fort Worth. And I just remember thinking I'm going to Texas Country Artists and just being so much more intrigued by your music. And I can see how all those elements have kind of uh, blended together uh, to in- instill your pushing new limits uh, even now. And so super cool to hear how um, that all uh, built up. I'm curious to know just kind of early on whenever music started to become a thing, was there some trigger moment that made it more of a, a, you wanting to push into it becoming more of a career? Yeah, there was a, there was a big moment and I don't even remember exactly. It seems like it was almost two years ago, but um there, I had a friend who does a, he books a lot of shows for us. Uh, he's a, he's a talent buyer for a, a bar called the blue light there in Lubbock. And, um, he had been talking to this guy named, uh, Jeff Turner, who's our, our booking agent now, but he, he'd been talking to him for like a year saying, Hey, you need to talk to Grady. You know, these guys are doing something kind of different. And, um, it finally reached the point to where, uh, Jeff, kind of started listening and, and, and we started kind of emailing and talking on the phone and, and eventually, uh, right about the time that we were going to release our latest album, um, we got signed on to, it's called red 11 and they're, they're out on that. They have one in Austin and then our office is out of Nashville that we work out of. And, um, you know, these, these guys are really like, they have turnpike troubadours on their roster. I mean, they have, they have really big name people in the scene and, so all of a sudden, uh, a big burden was lifted off of me of like the booking side of things. I could kind of set that aside because it was a very stressful time in my life of trying to figure out how to get into new cities and new venues and things like that. Yeah, Grady, for, for, for someone who's not in the industry, kind of stepping back, like before you have a booking agency, so you're like trying to write songs, you're trying to get into new venues. Like, can you walk us through like how much work that is in order to try to expand outside of maybe when you're in Lubbock and then coming to Fort Worth, but like you're trying to push way outside of just the local city. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for six, you know, around six years, you know, I was, I was the, the songwriter, the, the performer, the booking agent, the, you know, tour manager. And that's the way a lot of guys have to do it is because, um, you're not getting the amount of money from each show that you can afford to have like a team to do all these things for you. And so you have to learn how to do it yourself. And, um, so it, it reaches a point to where you get kind of frustrated of like, okay, I'm writing, I'm writing the best music I know how to write. And I'm really putting everything into this, this art that we're trying to create, but it feels like we've hit a pretty hard ceiling as far as like the people you can only write so many emails and not get an answer before you're just like, man, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, like it's just like, because these, these talent buyers, they call them, those are the people who like book shows for venues, you know, they get hundreds of emails every day. And so the chances of you with your piddly little email that nobody recognizes like that carries almost no weight uh, in in them even opening it. So, um, 
what a lot of got what a lot of hap- things happen with a lot of guys and gals as they're trying to grow their careers. Um, no one wants to even open the door to even see who's there. You know what I mean? So you could be the, you could be the next uh, Bob Dylan, but you know if your email address doesn't have one of these weighty uh, names in it, then they're not even going to open it. And so. Um, it can be extremely frustrating. And the places that I did have a communication with, I just booked them as much as I could and, you know, played really bad shows. And then it finally grew to the point to where, you know, you can go to these booking people and saying, hey, we've we've sold out so and so and so and so we've sold them out 10 times now. Like we, we think we deserve a place at the table. I know that I'm a very tiny fish in a humongous sea, but, you know, just give us a chance. And uh, that's what you got to do, I guess, you know? Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That uh, highlights, again, how, uh, how you know, we pull up a Spotify, uh, you know, play or whatever, a new artist, and you're listening to it, and you just don't understand all the factors that come into some of those, especially those independent artists trying to push for um, you know, playtime or a venue. Um, so that's, that's really fascinating. Um, okay. So then you get signed up with, uh, a talent buyer and, uh, they start trying to get your name out to a broader market. Can you tell me about a little bit of like hopes early on of what you were kind of hoping for, longing for, um, excited about maybe a shift in where you could allocate your time and energy potentially? The goal, um, uh, probably for the past four years has, has been, um, because I was, I was a construction worker. I did commercial heating and air conditioning, um, alongside trying to build this music career. So, you know, I've got a wife and two kids. And so like, this was how I was putting food on the table was going to construction job and, um, then got on with red 11. And so all of a sudden they're doing their job really well. And we're, we're out playing shows every weekend and I'm, you know, working 40 to 60 hours a week on a job site and then turning around and leaving every weekend. And so it, it got very tiresome to the point that the goal was, well, how do I not do the construction and just do music? Like, how do we make this possible where this is my only job? And, um, you know, I have the mental energy to be like a better dad, a better husband, um, during the week. And I'm not just like a ghost, you know, kind of like trying to get my rest. And so for the past several years, the goal was all always, um, music being my only job, my only income basically. And, um, so that getting signed with the red 11 was a huge step because they have the resources and the way to, to put me on stage enough in enough places that it was a real possibility of like, wow, um, I could imagine it, it's not being that far off to be able to quit construction and, uh, and go do that. And so that was, that was kind of the carrot at the end of the stick. Was there a moment, you know, you start getting booked and I know you eventually did make the plunge. And so somewhere between that hope and then making the plunge to go full-time musician, there may be some euphoric moment when you're like, Hey, I've made it. I can, I can do this. You, you kind of reference Spotify and, um, you know, for better or for worse, like a lot of an artist's success, um, or a lack of success is now in the music business based on how many, how many Spotify streams you're getting and, um, how many people, you know, you can, you can look, they have ways to like look at maps and see 
where your listeners are at and, you know, the ages and things like that. And so a big moment was, uh, you know, we were getting, we were averaging, uh, around 50 to 60,000 listeners a month. Um, and so that, that was already mind blowing. Like it was, it was really crazy, but, uh, a goal that I had set and that I thought, man, if we can get here, I think that's kind of the threshold. If we can cross this threshold, like, it's going to be, things are going to be really good. And, and that threshold was a hundred thousand monthly listeners. And, um, because that monthly listener thing, that's just for whatever reason, that's the, that's what the business looks at these days of like, if someone wants to book you, then, you know, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of depths of like how much money people are willing to pay and, and things like that. But, it, they look really hard at that. And so, you know, hundred K is kind of this threshold of like, well, if you're below that, you're still kind of at the, like the hobbyist, uh, you know, just kind of grind level. If you cross that, then you're, you're up there in the range of people who are really making a living at it. And so, um, I can't, I should have wrote it down, but it hundred, basically long story short, hundred thousand happened a lot quicker. I mean, I was expecting it to take a year, from whatever time that I set that goal and it took about six months. And, um, when we crossed it, it was just, wow, man. I mean, like, uh, you know, they had booked us on these big shows where we're opening for these huge crowds and, um, it just seemed like everything was really clicking. And, um, in timeline, Grady, when, when is this happening? Is this a year ago? Is this a couple years ago? Yeah, this was, this was probably about a year ago. Yeah, so we we just released, or it was after we released our latest record. I was still doing construction, um, but it was after we signed on with Red Eleven, and so yeah, it was probably about a year ago, and uh, and yeah, it just that that was kind of a moment that clicked of like, wow, this is this is really working, and um, and things kind of seemed to be falling into place. And so then you decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go full-time musician and, uh, walk us through full-time musician. And then what we know, like all know was, uh, a pandemic that was on on the French take us at least up to pandemic where things were going, kind of what 2020 looked like for, uh, you and the band. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, late, late last year, around this time, like about a year ago, uh, I was just, I was struggling, man. I was really tired. I was, uh, really anxious and, and to the point that, um, my wife very graciously said, Hey, you got to go talk to somebody. And so I started going to therapy and, uh, this guy, um, his name's Tim. He, he, he's just, he's just a beast. And he, he told me, basically over several sessions, we just kind of talked through like what it would look like for me to quit construction and, and do music. And, um, that was a big moment of, of saying like, there's a, there's a quality of life aspect versus like just sheer numbers and financials. And so basically, um, you know, I sat down with my wife, we did, we put all of our budgets together on paper and, and decided like, this is the number that I need to bring home every month for us to survive, you know? And, and that was kind of rock bottom and, and, uh, looking at the numbers somewhere over the past, the past year previous, um, music had slowly turned to becoming more, um, 
profitable than my day job. And I, I never even like stopped to like do the math on it. And so it was always like, this is my day job. Here's music on the side to kind of supplement. And somewhere along the way it had, it had flip flopped and I hadn't even realized it. And so, um, when we, when we kind of put it like very logically and mathematically out like that, it was like, this is super scary, but I'm going to do it. And so, um, January 3rd, uh, was my last day on a job site. And, uh, and it was terrifying cause I'd, I'd done that almost nine years. And, um, that was kind of a big part of my identity of like this blue collar working guy. And, uh, but it was, it was the, the best thing ever because now all of a sudden I had, you know, Monday through Thursday, every week, my only job was to be a dad and be a husband, like really be there for my family and like have the time and emotional, uh, capacity to, to, to do my best. And then, and then we were going out every weekend. So from January to mid March, I mean, we were, it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it was just like everything was, we were playing shows and the shows were getting bigger and we were getting more sellouts. How many shows did you have booked? So like 20, uh, 2019 versus 2020, what was it looking at kind of the uptick in volume of shows you're going to be playing in, in 2020? I should have looked that number up. That would have been helpful to know, but it, I mean, it was, it was easily double. So like I would estimate like we, 2019, I can't, I don't even want to estimate it, but I mean, it was, it was like exponential growth of like, normally in 2019, we might play, uh, you know, every other Friday or something, you know, but then 2020, all of a sudden we're playing every Friday, every Saturday, traveling to places, you know, we'd never played before and, uh, getting to go to new States. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was really popping and, and, uh, it was it was wild to look at the shows that we had booked through the rest of 2020. I mean, it was through Colorado and places I'd never even been before, much less play music. And so, um, yeah, we we had it all like right there in the chamber, like ready to fire off on like the best year ever. And then uh, you know, mid March rolled around, and uh, just everything everything went away. You know, it was. It was the week right before South by Southwest was supposed to start. And we went and played in Austin. And uh, we got word that day that they were going to be shutting everything down like at midnight, the night that we were playing the show. And at the time, we didn't we didn't know anything about the virus or anything. And so, we, you know, I was kind of joking around about it and, you know, just like, uh, we'll we'll go. We'll be fine. You know, they'll get it under control. And, and then next thing I know, you know, somewhere around 50, I think it was almost 55 shows just got, just went up in air like that. And so they were, they were gone. Gosh, man, great. I'm getting chills right now because I know everyone has like different moments in that early stage of, uh, things falling apart in one way or another, but I know that, uh, that rise paired with, you know, something that was totally outside of your control is so painful um can you tell us like a little bit of the things that you're going through your mind at the time as the the weight and the breadth of COVID kind of started to and how, how much it was going to impact you kind of can you just walk us through some of those first few weeks how are you coping how are you thinking through things yeah um yeah the for some i mean not for some reasons just i think it's the way my brain works is it, 
practically, you know, we, my wife and I had looked at this decision very mathematically. And so like, um, I knew exactly the number that I needed to be bringing in, uh, from live shows. And so it was a simple equation of all of a sudden you subtract that number, which was about half of my income that I was, um, you know, expecting. And it was panic, man. I mean, it was just pure mathematical panic of like, this isn't going to work. Like there's no way this could work. And, um, kind of what followed after that is, you know, I'd kind of taken faith and, um, you know, purpose and like a spiritual driven, uh, way to think about this of all of a sudden of like, well, maybe this wasn't what I was supposed to do. Maybe this wasn't what I was put on this earth to do and how I'm supposed to help people. And so, um, yeah, it, it was a pretty, pretty sudden downturn as far as like mathematically, this seems impossible. Uh, other than that, like, did I make a huge mistake quitting my day job to do this, you know? Um, and so it was, that's, that's where I was at for the first couple of months of just like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I, I hear like elements of, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but elements of doubt of was this the right call elements of regret of like I had security and I'm shifting over uh, into something that now is, has no way to be monetized. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, was, was there like any one common thing that we see in people's pit of despair is like sometimes shifting of, of blame. Like was there any person or self or like, I don't know, anger out of that, that you kind of were wrestling with at that time? Yeah, I think there were days where I was, um, I think I was, I don't know that I got angry with myself, but I think I definitely got frustrated of like, you idiot, like you had reached um, low level management in this construction world. And, you know, you had a steady paycheck, you knew exactly how much you were going to make every, every week. And, um, but for, for me, it was like, you know, these venues that everybody was canceling, it was, I couldn't be mad at them because they were doing their best. And like, there were laws to keep them from opening. And, um, as someone who took the virus and is taking the virus pretty seriously, like I didn't really want to be out there playing shows anyways. Um, and so it was really hard to, to be mad at a little, a little virus, but it was, uh, it definitely added to, um, a lot of frustration with how the virus progressed and like spread and, and wasn't contained because it was like, man, you know, people don't understand the like, uh, width and breadth of how this is destroying an entire industry as far as like, yeah, I, great. I read somewhere. It was, I think it was a study, a study in the UK, but I would imagine that it applies to the U S similarly is I think one third of the musical artists have been, uh, basically leaving the industry due to the pandemic. I'm not sure if there's any kind of similar stories or data that you've been reading that kind of uh, how, like how are your friends in the industry doing? Like what, what's kind of mental state right now? Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I don't know the the numbers, but the there's a lot of venues, the smaller independently owned venues have, have disappeared just because they couldn't afford to make rent. And um, a lot of the small bands who, uh, didn't have much infrastructure to begin with, you know, they, they're all doing day jobs now. And, um, 
who knows? I mean, I, I might end up going back to my day job. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's definitely a point where if there there's no venues to play at, then there's going to be a lot harder way to play live music when this does finally subside. And it's it's going to be a different view for look, for sure. Whenever you're walking through this, Grady, did you have a safe person that um, kind of you went to amidst all this and how did y'all process it together? Yeah. I mean, my wife is, uh, she's kind of been the strong stronghold in all of it as far as like, uh, when I'm panicking and saying, you know, this is, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. She's very quick to kind of put me, put my perspective in place. So like, you know, we're safe if you were, cause, uh, my construction company where I worked, they never shut down. So they were, I would have still been going to work every single day in the midst of all this stuff. And so I think stress wise, anxiety wise, it would have been a really bad situation. And so, um, she's always quick to kind of help put me, put things in perspective. And then, um, just practically speaking, she's the one who does the budget. Like she's a way better math, math person than I am. And so like, she reassures me every month when I'm like, you sure I don't need to do a live stream to get like five extra dollars or what, you know? And she's like, no, we're, we're fine. So. Uh, yeah. Great. T- tell us about, I think, uh, I don't know how many of our listeners know that uh, you're fairly innovative in this time when you're trying to make ends meet. Uh, there was uh, a little show called Corona town that yeah. uh, was t- tell us about how you thought through that and you know, the content and the feedback that you got. Yeah. I mean, so it finally clicked that, things weren't going to be getting better. You know, it was probably about a month in, maybe a month and a half in. And um, all, you know, this whole bunch of shows had gone away. And and so um, something finally clicked in my mind of like, well, um, I've got to, I've got to make money somehow. Like we've got to get creative somehow. And I had seen people kind of do like Instagram live things where they kind of just pin their Venmo thing in there and, um, I saw some that were kind of okay, but I mean, it's basically someone just holding their phone up, you know? And so the quality was never that great. Like I'd never, I hadn't seen anybody do, um, a really crisp looking or sounding kind of show, you know, live stream deal. It was always just kind of like real grainy and then it was, wasn't very good. And so I started, I decided that I was going to learn how to do like a live stream and um what's wild is that the gamers have been doing this for years like they they were already monetizing and like all the technology and the systems were already in place to do it um through like twitch uh youtube um facebook live things like that and so um you know gamers have been doing this for years and so it was fairly easy to go watch uh, you know, I had nothing but time. So I just spent a lot of time learning, um, a software called OBS, which is called, uh, I think it's like open broadcast software. And, uh, basically you can do like a green screen, um, like production, you know, almost like the news or something. And so I had a decent camera and, um, just decided like, Hey, I'm going to get some good mics and I'm going to basically play a show, um, you know, every week and throw my Venmo up there. And, and it was, it's kind of like busking, you know, on the side of the road, like people throw a couple bucks in and, and enjoy it. And so, 
what I learned after the first thing is like there were a ton of people in the YouTube chat and you know talking uh, like in the video chat of with each other and kind of bonding and it, it, it suddenly clicked of like this isn't just really a show like a music show like a one way thing where I'm playing music and they're just sitting there listening and there's no dialogue. And so it clicked where I wanted to create this, this place where I'm talking with the people who are watching, they're talking with each other. And and so it was kind of like a, a Corona town was like, I probably should have thought the name through a little bit better, but it was just kind of like <laughs> this place where people could go, you know, and enjoy it. And like, um, I learned how to do like green screen stuff and like make really funny background video played behind me. And, um, so it, it was a blast and, and it was just, now it's just like another kind of quiver. I mean, the arrow in the quiver as far as like what we can do. And so, yeah. um, we're actually going to gear up to do some full band, uh, live stream stuff over the next few months, but it's just, it, it was a way for me to do something that looked and sounded different than what everybody else was doing. And so, um, Luckily, I mean, it, it worked. I mean, for several months, it was literally the difference between us paying our bills and, and not, you know, our, our credit card. And so, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's definitely been, uh, it's, it's been a blast to learn and it was, it was a fun way to, to make a living. I think that it's probably sometimes unknown how, like, I'm really glad that you shared it in that level of detail, Grady, because I think sometimes people don't know the impact that it has on the person they're trying to support and, and just knowing like, Hey, this is actually meaningful to our whole family that yeah. we all participated in this, you know, you paid for the content you're looking at, like that's, it's sure. meaningful at the end of the day. Looking back, if you could tell yourself one thing before the descent or the descent or the, you know, uprising of the pandemic, whichever way you want to look at it, what would you tell yourself? I think this is something that I, I have to keep, I was telling myself before and I still have to tell myself of um, who who I am and my identity is not in the it doesn't weigh on the success of the music industry or whether or not I'm a construction worker or whether or not I'm paying all my bills with the with a uh, with the music stuff it's it's more of like it's rooted deeper in that you know I'm a I'm a my husband, I'm a father, I'm a Christian, things like that. Those, those are things that like really keep me rooted and all this other stuff is just kind of details. And, um, early on, I think, uh, I mean, I was going as deep as like, man, my credit score is going to suck this year. And, you know, like, like things like that of just like everybody's credit score is going to suck this year. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like everyone else is killing, like having a great year and I'm the only one having a rough time. Like we're all in this together. And so, um, that's something that I remind myself every day of like, that's whether the numbers are through the roof or I'm never going to play a show again like that, that it's, it's, it stinks to think of it that way, but it's also kind of frees you up of like, well, whatever happens, this is who I am first. And I'm going to deal with the details later. No, I can see that kind of knowing your identity and having that steady faithfulness. I was actually in the midst of this, Grady, super encouraged by uh, one of your songs, Grant. I think that I don't know if you've reflected on this at all, but like at least and I love when people interpret your songs for you and they may have no application to what you actually meant it for, but it was still meaningful. So it could be one of those situations because we haven't talked about this. But I wrote uh, the lyrics down. It says, 
in a part of the song, um, like, I wish you would never feel the pain, but you got to let it go, let it all go in faith. And kind of this, like, um, can you tell us a little bit of the background of that song and some of maybe what those words were written for? And if there is any application to kind of like going through trials in life and kind of what, uh, you know, who you wrote that for? Yeah, yeah. So that that's a song that I wrote kind of as like a love letter to my son, Grant. And um, it was it was written when he was a tiny baby. So he just turned four. So, I mean, this was three and a half, almost four years ago. And so I had no idea when I wrote it that um, how relevant that song would be in 2020, because it seemed like everything that I was thinking about you know, the world kind of growing down in flames and, um, but, you know, practically four years ago it was election year. And so like from my memory, like things were not great then either. It wasn't as bad as it is now, but I remember just a lot of division in our country, a lot of unrest. And so as I wrote that, it was, it was, um, it was kind of a, a message that hopefully he hears later on in his life and a reminder that like you, you've got to push on in faith because there's going to be a lot of times where the world's crazy. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot of pain. You're going to see, uh, a lot of hurt. And, um, you know, as a father, you want to try to protect your kid from that as much as you can. And so, uh, through all of that, you know, we're trying to do that right now. My daughter's, uh, she's six, he's four. We're just trying to like, be honest with them, but also be really thoughtful of like, what's this going to do to their little brains? And so, um, but on the other hand, it's very relevant for me to sing those words into the mirror because um, it's really easy to look at your phone or the news and, and see like how bad and messed up and ugly the world is right now. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just an important reminder that like you've got to have faith in something. Um, because if you're putting the, if you're putting your faith in the world and what's going on around in the world, then your, your way of living is not going to be that great right now. It might get better someday, but right now it's probably really, really bad. So. No, definitely, definitely feel that with you. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know kind of like a little bit about, uh, the, uh how i guess we'll get into a little bit of what that faith looks like uh in in a second here but before we go there um how how is just this fail like the failure of 2020 or the reorienting of 2020 i know you're you're in the midst of this and you're fighting through but um how has it impacted your outlook on taking risks yeah i mean it definitely i mean almost you know as, as a business owner like you you come in of like do we buy merch this month? Like, you know what I mean? Like, do we, do we, are we brave enough to throw down a thousand bucks for merch in what if it doesn't sell, then we just threw away a thousand bucks. And so, um, it's definitely made me where I'm thinking through every move that we're making as far as like, um, you know, we're kind of starting to play shows here and there of like, what does this show make sense safety wise for me and my band and their families? Um, financially does it make sense you know and should i re-up my merch right now do i think i could sell merch right now you know things like that um really have come into play as far as like really sharpening the knife that we're kind of like cutting through this year with of like 
Um, you know, I don't have just a huge uh, budget to just do these huge, big, you know, sweeping things. And so I've really got to think through every little move that we make because, um, you know, it's, it's important right now because uh, we can't, there's going to be mistakes made, but I'm hoping that the mistakes are so small that we can overcome them pretty, pretty quickly. Grady, one thing we talked about a lot at Craftwork, especially this year, has been uh, just things that we're grateful for. Looking back on 2020, what are you grateful for? Yeah, dude, it's so funny you said that. I, I literally bought uh, some Craftwork beans today, and I saw it on the, I saw it on the bottom of your bag, right? Put it on <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Yeah, I loved it, and I, I really did stop and think about it today before I even knew you were going to ask that. Um, yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, I mean, get, of course my family, my kids, that's, that's number one. But then, uh, you know, I haven't had to go back to construction yet. And if you would have told me, um, in January when I quit that, Hey, you know, half of your income is not going to be there for seven months. Um, I would have, I would have put all my money down saying, well, I'm going to have to go back to construction because, you know, we have, we got to pay our bills. And so, um, you know, through faith or whatever it is, like we're still, I'm still a musician and that's my job. And, and, um, so I'm every single day that I'm waking up and, um, just able to be home with my kids and, you know, my daughter is doing virtual school. And so I'm able to stay home and it's kind of worked out perfectly for that. And, um, yeah, it, it just seems, it seems too perfect to not, not be intentional and, and to think that this is all an accident would be, would be silly, you know, cause it just, it doesn't make sense that I haven't had to go back to construction, but luckily here where I am. So, yeah. Well, I, I, and a uh, hundred thousand other listeners, monthly listeners are grateful that you haven't had to go back to construction. Yeah, either. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, just one last question before we dive into kind of our, our wrap up questions is just, Great. Looking back on 2020, what's one takeaway from this experience do you think will change the rest of your life? Yeah. I mean, I think I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, so I think, um, I think it's going to be a, a time that I can look back on and, uh, and, and just celebrate the fact that my marriage grew stronger. Um, my music career grew stronger. I mean, in a time where it should have everything should have declined. I mean, I've got friends who are literally getting divorced because they were stuck in the house together, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, by all logic, everything should have gone downhill. Um, you know, it was, it was the opposite. And, um, I think there's going to be years where it's going to, the rest of the world's going to be doing great and living high on the hog. And my career is probably going to take a downturn. I mean, that's just the way the music business works. And so there's going to be a year where I'm not going to be able to make a living maybe as a musician. And so I'm hoping that's 30 years from now, but you know, it could be three, it could be three months, but hopefully I can look back and, and say, well, we made it through 2020 and that was super duper hard. And so, um, I'm going to kind of like stock that in the old mental bank account as far as like, that's something that we got through. If we got through 2020, we can get through a whole lot of other stuff. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I'm going to remember this time for sure. That's great. Grady, we end our, uh, pit of despair podcast with four 
questions. Um, essentially, we call them the human four. It's essentially to know that for our listeners to know that you're a, a real person and you're not. Uh, uh, sometimes musicians are on the stage and you think they live in another reality, but we're just going to. These are simple questions and uh, you don't know what they are in advance. So here we go. Um, what do you eat for breakfast? Um, yeah, I only drink coffee. I only drink <laughs> I only drink Kraftwerk coffee, and and my wife like tries to shove like Cliff bars and down my throat and like stuff like that, but just straight caffeine. That's it. That's great. Small, small yeah. plug. Thank, yeah, uh, appreciate exactly. that. Um, yeah. Okay, what what's the most likely song for you to sing in your car alone that you want to be caught dead sharing on a podcast? Oh, um, so. Uh, that was one good thing about um, January to March is I was able to drive my daughter to school uh, for those three months. And so I hadn't gotten to do that before. And so we had made a playlist together, me and her and uh, Roar by Katy Perry is the mm. jam. And uh, I would I would let, put her in school and then I would just put that song on repeat all the way home and just be screaming it. And it was amazing. So I'm probably going to listen to it after this. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so good. Um, and do you have a go-to dance move? Ooh, the robot. Yeah. I'm a good rope. That's, that's the move. It's simple. You know, you can just pull it off whenever. So yeah, you, you and Abby, our podcast producer, will have to have a robot off. That is her go-to dance move as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Then Grady, uh, we hit on this a little bit uh, about, your song grant and kind of just pushing on in faith but from here like you're not out of this this year yeah we're still in the midst of a pandemic but kind of what share with us what your hope is from here um, and what's kind of sustaining that energy um yeah man i mean i think um i think it's just knowing that none of this is an accident and i'm literally in zero control over what's going to happen. I mean, I have control over the situations that I put myself in and my band and their families. Um, you know, I have to be mindful of that, but big picture wise, as far as like the music industry and what's going to happen, it's a reminder that I have zero control. And so just having faith that, um, there's somebody else who does have control, um, uh, is something to kind of rest in and celebrate that fact of like, okay, I'm freed up to worry about things that I do have control over because I have trust that some, something somebody else has uh, has the reins. And so that's kind of how I operate every day. So, Well, Grady, you are an inspiration to us all as a faithful man who is pursuing a dream in the midst of a lot of adversity. We're especially grateful for how you've taught us how to keep our head on straight by jamming out to Roar by Katy Perry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your music. We are very encouraged to continue on in faith for a better future with you dude thank you so much man thank you for having me i look forward to uh, to hearing all these podcasts man it's gonna be awesome awesome thanks Grady. yeah thanks for joining us on pit of despair today we put this podcast together to encourage you the listener ultimately we don't want you to feel alone in this journey for more encouragement from craftwork sign up for the weekly advocate at craftworkgroup.com see you next time